back to the Y Hockey periodically on ice because of roster management reasons podcast. Although after the recent trade deadline, I guess you both would, you know, wouldn't mind being on roster management at some point. I'm I'm holding out my Florida Panthers fandom uh, for inept related reasons. And what about the Flyers too? I mean, th- that's. I got nothing for the Flyers, and it's been like that for a while. I will say it's a little more painful this year than usual because the draft that they could have had, but also because, like, I think they did one thing right. They, like, named the coach that fit the city. Um, I think fans liked and then also was committed to doing what, the team needed, which was set a new identity, set a new standard, hold players accountable and get, you know, the team playing a brand of hockey that will win in the playoffs. And he's doing all of that, but too good. Too good. That is exactly right. I saw somebody tweet today. I absolutely need to quote this person. I have not seen it. Jeff Nieberg of the uh, Philadelphia Inquirer. This, this tweet is for me and only oh, me, boy. I guess. <laughs> uh, just hilarious stuff out of Voorhees. It's hard to make up at this point. And I responded with things I definitely said in high school that somehow still apply 10 years later. Because, you know, th- things happened at Eastern that were very, very weird. I, I don't know if it was uh, Charlie or uh, Charlie O'Connor or Broad Street Hockey. I've, uh, I forget which kind of did it. But they did an article basic on, like... Uh, did like the Flyers meaningful trades for Claude Giroux from the Pronger trade onward word. And there was none like they did nothing to give Claude Giroux in the prime of his life, any help, no trades, nothing. I mean, it could have been Kevin shovel day off behind the gym. You know, it was like he was, he was sleeping. I have to bring up this tweet from uh, flyers nation. A buddy of mine from high school, funny enough, tweeted the, uh, retweeted this, uh, I know you know Flyers Nation. The entire hockey world is laughing at Philadelphia. Comcast does not give a you-know-what about you. The front office is an embarrassment. Rock bottom does not exist because they keep going lower and lower and lower. Do not give Comcast your money. I think that can apply to many different areas of life, but... Yeah, but I mean, you, you've been saying the, that, too. Yeah, I mean, it. What, what the Philadelphia Flyers want and why the... And why Comcast is so fine with Chuck Fletcher is they want the Minnesota Wild. They want a team who's going to most likely make the playoffs, get guaranteed revenue, have a consistent salary expenditure, and things like that. I mean, obviously, the the Wild since Garen took over and, and all that stuff. But beforehand, you know, the Wild, especially when they had, like, Dwayne Rollison, for all those people who care— uh, Manny Fernandez and stuff, but uh, that's a good pull, Manny Fernandez. I forgot about him. The, they they were one of the only teams to really run a, a two headed monster goalie tandem and successively for a while there. Um, but like that team was known for just like get making the playoffs, being competitive, you know, but not being much more than Mid. you know sixteen to ten in you know in the nhl ranking sort of like you know just good enough but not not really you know but not good enough to be forced to spend money not you know no fans were obviously hoping that they would do stuff but you know everybody everybody knew that they weren't good enough to go all in or to make big splashes or and that's exactly what they wanted so they didn't they could keep their costs low 
they keep their revenue gate as high as possible. You know, it's all, all, you know, that's what Comcast is doing. Uh, I mean, I just, I can't support that team in any way, shape, or form outside of Gritty or uh, Tortorella. And for and for anybody who still is saying that they wouldn't have, they would have rather had Brunette coaching the team than Tortorella last year, I think. Honestly, even like you can say like I don't believe in that hockey. I don't think he would be a good coach this year, and you know, be the coach for the team moving forward. But if you had to pick an interim coach for one year, would you do the guy who's overachieving with the Flyers roster, or Brunette, the guy who froze down the stretch, made no adjustments in the playoffs, and got ran out of the building and organization? That is a debate we will end up having at you know, some point. Like, I, know, yeah. I can see why you say that. I am I am not for Tortorella hockey, so that's just I'm me not, on principle. I'm not – I mean, what, what, Tortorella hockey is Maurice hockey but effective. It is a better like, version I mean, than Maurice hockey this you know, year at least. Well, I mean, like, what it is is – I mean, no, I think Maurice hockey is worse than Tortorella hockey. Maurice hockey is passive. I'm getting work done in the house. I'm sure you're hearing that. It's not me. It's perfectly fine. Look, look, at this point, considering the effort the two teams we largely follow gave in recent times, you know what? Yeah. You might hear the phone ringing in the background. That's all right. <laughs> no, no, but like, Torts, like, the, the things that Florida was lacking, just, and I'm just talking about last year. All, I was, all I'm advocating for was bringing him on in an interim basis last year to finish out the year and get, and, you know, you couldn't plan Q. That's fine and dandy. But if you're really going all in, Brunette had four years of coaching experience, period. Zero as a head coach. None in the playoffs. None at the NHL level. If you're really going all in, you should have brought in a guy like Torts because there's no way that they wouldn't have practiced hard down the stretch. There's no way they wouldn't have been tightening up down the stretch there's no way they wouldn't be they wouldn't have been prepared for the lock in the neutral zone for the battles for the intensity for the gamesmanship and the matchups and the game management that tampa was going to put them in the second round because tortorella knows all that stuff you might not think he can do it anymore but he can certainly practice a team and condition a team and get them ready for it and with how good the roster was last year, I think that they at least would have had a spirited six or seven games against Tampa, if not possibly one, you know, if they get luck and, and all that stuff. A lot of luck Tampa got in that series was because Florida was passive. You know, they were leaving gaps. They were letting pucks go. They weren't finishing plays. And it's easy to get luck when you're the only one skating the pucks. You're the only one you know, doing this, that, or the other thing. Well, I think for me, a lot of what this season has been, because I've seen people bring this up, which is, oh, this team's unlucky. And I do agree with that to some extent, but I'm also a believer of you make your own luck. And if you don't put yourself in a position to be lucky, then you're not going to get lucky. And they have not done that. Whether whether you, you think it's a problem or not, and a problem on the players and reflects on the players or not, is up to you. But just remember, if you're applying it to Barkov, you got to apply it to Kachuk, too. Um, so that probably defeats your narrative. But anyway, um, like the attitude was not there to have luck. The attitude was not there to have comebacks. The mm. belief... the I mean, they did not have belief in the system 
in the coach, in the team. Um, I mean, we knew, knew in Winnipeg that Maurice created or at least did not contain or put out toxicity in the locker room, negative attitudes on the bench, negative actions between teammates. And you come to Florida, you have, and I mean, it's, it stinks. I mean, they, they don't in big games, they're not showing up for first periods. It's, it's because they don't want to show up for the coach or because the, or the team's not prepared or they're not do putting in the right, uh, order of operations on game day and going through the right activities on game day or the day before to be in the right mind frame by puck drop. And they're not making any adjustments. I mean, I don't know how many times last year and this year I asked about practices and practices were static basically from day one to the end. I mean, besides little blips, like when he started, when they did a little more flow drills and rushes uh, a little after Christmas and they started doing well, shockingly. Um, but then, you know, after that, it from all reports and from all feelers I put out to people who were there, who go to practice and cover the team and stuff, Practices this year were largely static. The whole point of the NHL season is to be peaking at the right time. If your preparation, if your routines, if your practices are static, you are not going to peak at the right time. You're probably not going to peak at all. And it's just stuff like that. Like Tortorella wouldn't do that. Maurice did do it. Brunette did do it. Uh, I, I could probably think of a bunch of other coaches, and I'd be willing to try – non NHL experience coaches too that have shown that they're able to, you know, run a team. The Panthers don't have anyone who can run the front office at this moment. I have big questions about Zito. He's going to have to prove me wrong. They don't have anyone who can run the bench because we know Maurice can't. They don't have anyone who can run the ice because they don't have a number one defenser defenseman. The, the, I mean, how, how, why are people trying to push Barkov to play hurt in a game against Nashville to maybe continue to to maybe continue to hang on to the possibility of getting a playoff spot when they when I just said what I just said about how the front office doesn't have a plan and doesn't have a way to execute they don't have anyone to run the team from the bench and they don't have anyone to run the game from the ice I, I I just don't I don't know what people expect other than this circle and cycle of chaos of of bad timing, bad decisions and bad moves. I also want to say that the criticism you're hearing about Barkoff to not play through whatever it is he's dealing it's with. It's a hand it's a hand injury. It's a hand injury. And, I think he suffered. And the let's just let's just remember that the hand, like the hand, is full of all of those tiny little bones. There's like 227 or 247 bones in your hand. And then think about what hockey entails and what the job of a center entails. And think about Alexander Barkov's game. Are quick and soft hands and healthy, you know, strong hands important to him, or are they, or is it something that you can risk? permanent damage to right now in this current situation just think about that i under i understand what you're saying completely yeah. and honestly honestly yeah. if like if it's even remotely I think most, not good you might as well shut him down for the season i think They're not most making people the playoffs. yeah and and for people who think the season came down to tampa and nashville 
they're out of their minds. They're just they're sipping the Kool-Aid. They're they're listening to the narratives that the team is putting out. Anybody with two eyes or even one eye or could read Braille, you know, and was looking at the standings and seeing the games played and the points percentage and the and the win loss record in the last ten could have seen that the Panthers are going win loss win loss win loss win loss. That's not going to make up any ground, even if teams are losing and trying to give the spot away, which they were. On top of that, you you didn't have the points percentage in the previous games to expect to win the games that you needed to to undo that disadvantage. And at the same what and at the same time, you had teams like Ottawa and Detroit gaining ground on you with four games in hand. Four. That would be a total of eight possible points. And they have the same amount of points as you or one or two points back. Like it was over a long time ago. The Panthers to sell tickets on a on this homestand are going to probably even pretend they're still in it tomorrow. That they like their team and that, like, you know, there's a lot of teams that uh, are battling. And if they, they, they win the games that they should win, they'll have a chance and all that stuff. Because they're trying to sell tickets. They haven't been winning games that they should have been winning all year. I mean, they were out two weeks ago, three weeks ago, basically. I mean, they needed to do a lot better a lot sooner and then make moves and then start making evolutions. Like, it, it wasn't like... The, like they just thought getting healthy and this is Paul Maurice and, and Bill Zito I'm talking about thought just getting healthy would suddenly turn them into a 600 hockey team uh, with what evidence with you know I mean it, it the reasoning behind so much fluff that's out there that some fans believe that some beat writers are putting out there that uh, some media members are are happy to 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 go with and accept like oh they couldn't do anything this year oh they you know it's just honestly it's i can't even get mad about it because it's just so stupid and worn out and doesn't hold any water at all when you when you really put context and reality into it it doesn't hold any water at all and and again again and I just want to, I, I mean, not to be so doom and gloom. The reason I'm so, the reason I'm so like this is because the core we've said multiple times is so good. And this team should easily be in the second round every year. Uh, even with the goaltending they have, even with some injury problems and they're choosing not to, and they're choosing not to address big fatal flaws that they've known they've had they know coaching was an issue until quinville got there they had to lose quinville and then they didn't do anything about the coaching they they took the they picked from the bargain bin after all the coaches were decided just like they tried to sell gudis after all the defensemen were already traded you know like they're just you know day late dollar short or two days early and you know paying too much money for charat I mean, it's it's just really hard to see this turn around and make use of the potential and promise there, but they could, if if like all of a sudden a a, a light slip, a light uh, switch flips, and like they get that number one defenseman, oh man, they're cooking. 
they get a head coach that can use the defenseman. I mean, because Zito can go get Mahora, but if Mahora is getting capped at 15 minutes a night, what are you doing? He you claims know? Casey Fitzgerald off of waivers in January, and it takes until two days ago or three two days ago for played. him to play. Yep. This week, on Monday, or Tuesday, yeah. It's... I want to go back to something Corey Schneider talked about on the last show. By the way, that and, show and, and is not dated, the, I should say. Yeah, and, and let's just let's just say the reason they got Mahora and the reason they got Fitzgerald is because Paul Maurice won't play anyone less proven or younger or more flashy. So that's who you get. So if he's not even going to let those players who, like even Mahora, who – is tearing it up. Like I'm not even saying change the partners even, but like if if you want Gouda so much, you're not going to trade him for a second or a third or whatever you can get, which you should have done. Um, if you're not because you hope to re-sign him, because again, there's no contract on the table. He hasn't signed shit. I mean, like he could he could either you know make Florida pay more by going to open market, or he can sign with another team. So they. So that was stupid. But, like, you know, they could have played Mahora and Gudis. I mean, if you want to keep Gudis so much, you shouldn't be afraid to play him more than 15 minutes. And if you are afraid of Mahora and Gudis playing 15 minutes, that means you have two defensemen that are liabilities. And that's on top of Mark Stahl. So now 50% of your defensemen are liabilities that you're scared to play, you know, 15 minutes. Or if they do play over 15 minutes, hurt you on the scoreboard. Again, I don't. I'm not disagreeing. Yeah, with you. I mean, like it's just, it's confounding. This entire it's season confounding. has been confusing to me for a ton of reasons. Some like, of which we should have seen so, coming. So, so like, let's just say, let's just say, let's pretend that the UFA defensive pool actually has good defensemen in it. It doesn't, and let's just pretend that the one or two good defensemen there aren't on teams that they're likely to resign on, like Go to Spare in Carolina. That's probably going to be a good fit for him, and he's probably going to want to stay in Raleigh on a team that's doing well, or Orlov in Boston. He's probably going to want to stay on that team. He put up three points the other night. I mean, like you know, he's having fun. So, like, who are you? So, let's just even pretend that Maurice will play whatever defenseman we bring in. Who are we getting? Who are we getting that's going to be the number one defenseman, or even at least number two if you still believe in Aaron Ackblad? at his full potential and the ability to stay healthy. Who are you getting to be that number two? All I see are old number threes. I mean, one of the things I've been thinking of in recent days, because I'm I'm struggling to find someone who plays the left side can play it for 25 minutes or 40% of the game and play with Ekblad. And I'm, I'm thinking maybe we have to send like, Sam Reinhardt and like Sam Oskevich to Vancouver to get Quinn Hughes or something and like probably a fur you know like I, I don't I don't know what they're gonna have Zito's gonna Zito who was so scared of trying to come up with something last summer out of his butt is gonna have to come up with something this summer out of his butt to get a number one defenseman or a first pair defenseman I mean because let's be honest that's that's the biggest issue it's why the goalie struggled it's why the the it's why the team falls apart after 30 seconds in the D zone. It's why they struggle on breakouts and puck retrievals. It's why they struggle in the neutral zone. It's why they struggle to 
do anything of value in the offensive zone besides hold on to the puck, pass it to the points, and take shots from outside the house. Because they don't have a Scott Niedemeyer. They don't have a Chris Pronger. They don't have a number one defenseman. They don't even have a first-pair guy with the swagger of a, of a number one defenseman like Mackenzie Weger. And that's what they need. If they have that, so much is solved. I mean, get a number one defenseman and a coach, and we can, you know, build on the fly. It, 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 like, I think people really don't understand the game management, the puck management, the decisions that get made when you actually have a number one defenseman. Ekblad will get to play number two. Forsling and Montour will get to play second pair where they do best and play together where they are their best. Then you actually have something going. Then you have 50, 48 to 50 minutes of the game covered in those defensemen. I mean, come on. I mean, it's just so obvious. I don't understand what what they're taking so long. I mean, it's not like there wasn't anybody cheap out there. The Devils traded basically nothing for John Marino. Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, there were. There you were saw what that... Rasmus Sandin was traded for. I mean, he might not be the number one defenseman, but I'm saying you can be creative. There are options out there if you're willing to think and if you're willing to try something. Listen, let's just say, let's just say that, like, the plan for Zito has always been we don't have that many assets, but we kind of have a little, maybe one too many forwards. What, like we all know Duclair, Bennett, Reinhardt, everybody's trading them in all their scenarios, and it's it's realistic too. And and I'm not even saying they shouldn't do it, but they should only trade one because they don't ha- look at the way they ha- they finish on 50 shots with Craig Anderson right now to tell oh, you and that Kevin Lankinen too. Yeah, Oof. they that they do actually need to keep some of these forwards, but um, like if that's the case and everything, and in the summer they're going to trade one of these forwards, right, for, for a number one defenseman. Why didn't they trade Sam Reinhardt or whoever, like Sam Reinhardt for a first and whatever, and then take that package, package it with your 2026 first, and trade it for Chikrin? That, I mean, because that's basically what they're going to be doing in the summer, trying to trade a forward to get a defenseman. You're Why absolutely you right. Why wouldn't to the defenseman that signed for under five million for two more years from the area will help you sell tickets. Dad can interview him. You have all the off ice reasons to do it, and he's good offensively, defensively, and is a left shot first pair defenseman who's young, who fits the Kachuk's age. Mm-hmm. They they were they were more willing to beat the market to pay a first plus plus for Ben Sherratt as a rental at the same time that they were not willing to spend two firsts and a prospect to get Chikrin at the same time last year. And they could have had Chikrin all this year too. Mm-hmm. They, I, if, you know, they could, and like, all right, well, what if they, what if for whatever reason they couldn't get Chikrin? I mean, Phil Bronick is a very good freaking defenseman. And people are like, well, how can they get rid of Gudis? Well, if you got Ronick, you could get rid of Gudis and still add that left side defenseman. And now you probably have a very strong defensive group where you have five top four defensemen. Or it allows you 
to to bump Mahora up because you have three strong right side defensemen who are top four defensemen. And, uh, you know, you can put Mahora on the top four and you can have somebody like Carlson play with Aronic, who's very grounded and central in his game, and it would be great. But they don't even, like, Zito took the year off. He 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 packed it up in July, and there's little evidence to show he didn't. Other than Mohora, the two waiver claims, there's no evidence to say Zito was even alive. Because, I mean, think about how bad the team was doing, and they didn't even change the deep pairs. The worst part of the team, the, te- the part that was struggling the most and the part that can help the goalie the most, and it was never even changed. They didn't even try. Like Lucas Carlson scoring goal after goal in the AHL, clearly ready, clearly an NHL player, not even going to try it. Nope. Not at all. Look, I agree with everything you have just said, and I want to go over just a couple of parts that I've noticed here as we go along. Most of it is exactly what you've said. Um, and we talked about it with Corey Schneider on the last show. Please listen to that if you haven't. It's not going to be dated because they haven't done yes. anything. So yeah, and please listen. And he obviously Corey is one of our favorites. But what gets to me is not that they have no plan. It's that nobody knows what the plan is, and I think that's what's frustrating. It's not just in the front office because they were whatever happened last year clearly spooked them. And you could also argue that part of why they did nothing at this trade deadline is because they're so scared that their unprotected first is going to become Connor Bedard that they want to win meaningless games so it doesn't happen. I'm not saying that that's what is happening, but you could infer that. But to me, the biggest problem I have with the way that they're playing right now, and Corey's brought it up, he brought it up in the McKean's piece, and he's brought it up on the podcast too. I don't think the players have a good understanding of what the plan is if there is one, because their instincts, most of them from last year, are we have to play like a rush team, which you have talked about on this show repeatedly, that this team at its core is a rush team. And that was its identity that was burgeoning, and they were good at it. As you retweeted somebody pointing out, they were really good at one thing last year. Now, they were only perhaps good at one thing, but they were exceptionally good at that one thing. And this year, they're not even good at that anymore. They're mediocre at pretty much everything. And the players, in their instinctual, you know, habits that have not really changed all that much, they still want to be a rush team. And the system from Paul Maurice is preventing them largely from being a rush team. And you mentioned it earlier, when they started playing somewhat better hockey, they became a bit of a rush team again. So... They're trying to add elements to their game, but I don't think they could tell you what elements they're adding. Right. And I don't think they could also tell you that they're good at the one thing they were good at last year. And what frustrates me is, as you've said, is everything's so passive. They wait for other teams to come to them, or they wait for the game to come to them. Or, alternatively... Paul Maurice is waiting until the absolute last minute to change anything. And once he made that change, he's married to that change and will not change from that point. The fact that the defense pairings are exactly the same as when the year started is, again, that's, it says, explains itself. 
Like, the fact that even after everything that's happened, even after the fact that this team has gone from okay defensively at the start of the year to not very good now, they haven't changed a thing defensively in terms of their pairs, in terms of the way they're deploying their personnel, until Casey Fitzgerald finally played because Paul Maurice doesn't like Gregory Denisenko. It's remarkable to me that this is where we are in March. And the forwards, too. I mean, before Barkoff got hurt, almost everyone was saying, it's time to break up Lundell, Barkoff, and Reinhardt. It's not working anymore. And they haven't. The power play. Yeah. I mean, the power play was pretty bad from, from the start of the year to December. It was incredible in January. And then other teams figured it out. And I believe they have two power play goals since the All-Star break. Change something. Speak, speak, brother. I mean, it Change is it. like this is the thing that I that just gets to me when your coach is reactive and your coach at times. Paul Maurice is not the guiltiest coach I've ever seen of this, but he is guilty of it. And remember those quotes in like Edmonton earlier in the year when they lost, when they had you know they blew a three uh, three goal lead yeah. against St. Louis, and then they blew a game of like three seconds left at Edmonton. And somebody asked him, like, what do you got to do to change this? And he was like, get Barkoff back. And I'm like, at that point, I was going, all right, we're, we're in trouble here. And, and with a mentality like that, you wonder why Barkov ends up playing hurt through games so long to the point that he has to take time off or his numbers aren't as good as they could be. Or people say, like, he looks a little slow and stuff. Or, you know, well, yeah, because the coach's mentality is we need Barkov to win. So if Barkov has pneumonia, as long as I can convince him to play hockey, we're okay. That's that's a ter- like that that's the type of like if he if the coach has to rely on that or if that's the coach's answer instead of we need you know we need to be more prepared, we need to work harder, we need to be better, we need to be more in tuned or more focused or whatever. Come on. Like that you're just not fit for the job. Cause I mean, this is not the NBA. This is not like some other sports where one player is going to win you the cup. If that was the case, Edmonton would have three right now because they have McDavid and Dreisaitl and both of them can get shut down, whether they play on different lines or the same line enough to lose a playoff series. If that's all there is, if like, that's the whole thing. And, you know, Florida, what Florida needed to do was to get a backbone, a structural identity backbone. They were pretty much there with what they were doing last year. All they needed to do was add the compete, add the half board battles, you know, add a little more structure so that they're not so lazy counting on the running gun that they know they can score off the rush. So they play the right way. And then when they get on the rush, they can score instead. They, they started just trying to generate the rushes when things weren't going well, instead of saying, Hey, we can hang in, just keep competing. We're going to get a rush eventually. I think there are some stats here that I want to bring. I want to bring up some stats because I, I think I brought them up on this show, or I've certainly brought them up on Twitter. If I haven't deleted the tweets, 
Oh, nice goal from Lazio. That's been far more interesting than anything that happened with the Florida Panthers today. Yeah. And that's me saying something yeah. nice about speaking, Lazio, of all people. Spe- speaking of more exciting than the Florida Panthers, uh, F1 is about to start. Uh, and yes. We'll probably finish on some of we that. We will definitely finish on F1. But I want to make also, my point. Oh, go on. No, no, no. Roof ball, but we'll get back roof to Roof ball. We will definitely get to roof ball. We were talking about that yesterday. Uh, and, and the videos that he showed me were, I didn't think 2007 had a style. Uh, 2007's got a style, my friends. Uh, I, I'm just <laughs> and going it's back. called Three Doors Down. It, it, well, three Doors Down was earlier. Um, I know. But I, I want to get back so to my, uh, my point about some stats for the Panthers that I find really interesting. And Corey made a great point. The Panthers are a really good team if absolutely everything goes right. Tampa was an example. They got an early goal, and then they could play with the lead, and they had a terrible third period, but besides the point, they are a very good team if every single thing goes right. But the problem is, in the National Hockey League, with parity, very, very few games will you have absolutely everything go right. And if anything goes wrong, they get boo-boo-faced, and they just cannot seem to come back. They have... One game this year they won when they trailed after two periods. That was the Boston game. They have one multi-goal comeback this year in the league where multi-goal comebacks are happening all the time. And last year, that was their thing. They were never out of a game. And this year, if you go down 2 nothing, then the game's over pretty much. I think it's six wins when they give up the first goal. How does that not scream to you that this team does not have a clue of what they want to do? or an idea of what they want to be as a team. They're trying to be everything all at once, and then they're nothing. And to me, that is a failure of everything. And I think, as you said, when your mindset is your best players have to play every night in order to succeed, look at when Barkov's been healthy. He's still like a three, four wins above replacement player. Matthew Kachuk might be the second best forward in the league this year. You put yeah. all the, Carter Verhage's got a 30 goal season. You know, A2 Lowsterainen's got career highs. Sam Reinhart's got 20 plus goals, even though he's struggled at times this year. Think about all the things that have actually gone well this year, which you haven't noticed because the entire team is playing quite poorly. And think about all of those things that are happening. And think about how many points they're going to be out of the playoffs when it's all said and done. When the teams that are going to make the wild cards are not going to be very good teams. The Penguins are not good. The Islanders aren't good. The Sabres are, you know, the Sabres and Senators are young and they're playing much better, but I wouldn't say that they're necessarily but, ready yet. And this right, team shouldn't this, even have to be thinking about that. And this is where they are. What they have that Florida doesn't have is optimism. There's a reason Buffalo's getting excited. There's a reason Ottawa is doing better because the GM's coming into the locker room saying, you guys are playing well. I'm going to go out and get something. Claude Giroux, I promise you I'm going to go get an impact player. What did they do? They beat Detroit back-to-back. Huge swing for them. And then they beat the Rangers. And then they beat the Rangers. Why? Because the GM lived up. There's, that's When you talk about players not knowing the plan, fans not knowing the plan, or if there is a plan, it seems to change too much that people don't really believe and buy in, this is what we're talking about. You can say anything you want about the Ottawa Senators. Any, I don't care. But you can say that this year they had a plan. They brought in Giroux. They told him he was going to lead the way and bring these young kids into cup contention. 
and their goal was to be a cup contender in three years, and there he's gonna and that the GM was willing to spend money, make moves, trade some picks, and get it done. And he's been doing it. You know what's also I mean, amazing about the about the uh, the Senators right now? They don't have owners. Yep. They're in the middle I mean, of the sale process that has gone on for a long time. Maybe that's the key. <sighs> I mean, it basically allowed them to be autonomous. And the Sabres, you know, I, I'm not saying that they're a great team, but they've at least made some moves happen. And yeah. as, I, as I said, like, it is possible that what happened last year at the trade deadline where they clearly went over their skis, and I'm not saying that they shouldn't have gone for it, but... I, I'm guilty. I'm what I'm guilty of. I part, pardon me for a second. Is saying is conflating going for it with the trades that they made, as opposed to saying going for it was not the wrong move. But obviously, the Sherratt trade was a complete failure. Giroux looked Giroux looks worse in hindsight, even though I don't think but it was terrible because Giroux's he a better was, player. He was second or third on the team in points in the playoffs, and look at him this year. I don't know if they had more playoff success if. Okay, Claude Giroux didn't re-sign because he got in during the playoffs. He was in the locker room, and the coach froze and could not react. Why would Claude Giroux at his age want to stick around and hope that the next coach and blah, 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 he'd rather pick his spot. He'd rather go on a team with more positivity, more upswing, and, you know, I, I, I don't mind the front office. I don't mind the coaching staff in Ottawa. I mean, I think the fans are annoying and they overestimate their team, but they have good prospects. They have a good team. They have a good front office. They have a good coaching staff. It's just the owner was terrible. Well, now the owner's gone. So, I mean, I, I, I mean, I still didn't know if it was the best move for Giroux. I thought he'd sign on a more competitive team and take three kicks at the can versus probably ramping up and getting one kick at the can. Um, but I mean, I totally understand why he didn't sign because the, the coach, the coach was terrible. The team fell apart and the general manager was, and he probably knew it from exit interviews more than we knew it at the time, but floating, twisting in the wind and was obviously on his way to calling the season a bust by July. You know, I mean, you can understand you can understand why he wouldn't sign, like, and why the, why, you know, like looking back, like what like Giroux was supposed to do a lot of things, but mainly he was supposed to be point production in the playoffs and be be a help deep into the playoffs. Well, they couldn't they never got going or whatever because the coach wasn't there and the team sucked and everything, but he produced points. Uh I don't think he was the reason the power play stunk. Uh and you can look at the power play before he came uh all those years with most of the same guys on that power play and the power play now where they replaced his right-hand shot with Montour's right-hand shot. Still sucks. Look, he was the most consistent player in the playoffs last year. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Verhage had mean, an amazing first series, then nothing. I, well, I would, yeah, yeah. But I mean, for instance, to I mean, to me, there's three players that shouldn't get any crap: Barkov, Kachuk, and Verhage. Other than that, like everybody, I'm open for the right price. I'd move. I can understand. 
you know, obviously there's some I want to keep more than others, and they have a good core. I don't want to blow it up. But well, I think you had a, you had a tweet tr- thread. Uh, I don't remember when it was, but I 100% agreed with you. Pick a day was, of any week. Pick a day of any week. But I agreed with you when you said the core is still really good, and this is true. Yeah. The core is really, really good. It's still up on the Substack if you want to see. It There's is, an article talking about the core. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And blowing that up, as some people have suggested doing, is ludicrous. Because what good is, what good is that going? You're never going to get fair value. See Jacob Chikrin, see Timo Meyer. You're never going to get fair value for those guys in trades. So what do you have to do? You have to build around them, and you have to give them the chance to succeed. Now, we already know that Barkov's been in Florida for a bunch of complete nonsense, and, you know, now finally it looked like the tide had been turning, and no, it hadn't. But you have to give those guys a chance. And this year, it's quite clear they gave them no chance, whether it was because they got broken in half by the Lightning in the playoffs, which is definitely a plausible theory, they shot their load last year and just decided this year, now we can't do that, no matter what happened. I don't accept punting on any season when you have the guys that you have, when you can be creative in the National Hockey League, and they have yeah. not been creative. And, and that's it's not, what frustrates me. Yeah, and I mean, and the thing that, Zito, like, the one thing I'd still, the only thing I don't really have doubts around Zito is his ability to trust the pro scouts and amateur scouts to find, I don't want to call them diamonds in the roughs, but find some gems at, you know, cost-effective gems like Mohora, like Forsling, like Montour. I mean, he's done it before. We, we're not talking guys who cost a lot to acquire, have big cap hits, are big, you know, are like big question marks or risks. We're talking about guys who are easy to acquire, are relatively cheap and are athletic and can skate i mean i don't know i i just thought that if zito was so creative so many times before why wouldn't he spend two months being creative i wanted, it, to, I wanted to make I, that up because believe, the first thing and, he did i again i apologize for interrupting but no, i wanted to bring this up previously was like when he got into florida look go go back in your mind zion remember october of 2020 and what he started doing and all the things he was trying, right? And then remember the 2021 trade deadline where, you know, we weren't the biggest fans of Montour and Bennett when they acquired him, but there was creativity in those moves. And you can't say they haven't worked to some extent. You can argue to a a bigger extent. And then the Reinhardt move, that was a creative move, you know, and it largely has worked. Reinhardt's been a very solid player for Florida, exactly what you would have thought. Thirty goal scorer. Remember, remember that Yuya Levy trade. I mean, I don't think, I don't think you've ever been as happy with the Panthers trade. I'm, I'm joking about that, but that was a creative trade. It didn't work. Yeah. But that's the kind of ideas that we're talking about yeah. here. And 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 it's, since then, it's and then whether it was the way that last year ended, or whether it was again the Kachuk trade also kind of falls into that. And the Kachuk trade, you can't say it hasn't worked because it has. He's been great and. Things are not going well in Calgary right now. But to me, where is the creativity when it comes to, again, addressing your fundamental flaw that has been the fundamental flaw since you got here, is still the fundamental flaw now, and where is the creativity in addressing things in a novel way which other teams seem to find a way to do 
which they haven't. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because because you look at look at this year, okay, and the teams and the way they're all going for it. And I want to give the example of Boston and the far better run team that the Panthers are, obviously. But look at what the Bruins have done. You know, even through getting Tyler Bertuzzi, getting Orloff and Hathaway, you know, they found a way to be creative in the way they acquired those players. The fact that they did protect themselves for, you know, future harm. And they never really felt like they were overpaying. Again, markets are different from year to year. But this Bruins team last year is, or this year, I should say, is not the same as Florida last year. Right. But they're in the same sort of mold of, like, you are having an incredibly historic season. Beyond anybody's wildest dreams, you have to go for it. You have to do something. The Bruins were going to trade for Gavrikov and then got a better deal. You know? Look, and, and look, Orloff is a great defenseman, and, he's working, and he works perfectly for what they're going to do. I'm not saying they're going to win, but that's the kind of thing that Florida didn't do. Arguably, their best trade deadline acquisition last year was Robert Haig, but, for, all, for all things considered. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I mean, I agree with pretty much everything you say. And just to, like, jump onto that, like, Orlov is a defenseman. I like yes, it might be a slight overpayment because of the time you're you're making the trade to pay that much for Orlov, but they did, paid that much for Orlov and Hathaway, and you know Hathaway is a usable player with with at a young age, and you know was probably is plays Bruins hockey is probably going to resign, or you know has term left. I don't know the deal, but I'm sure it's probably term. Um, but like you know, that's not like Ben Sherratt is a guy that people argue about whether he's a three or four or he's like a five or six or he's terrible. Dmitry Orlov, it's like, okay, I might think he's a second pair defenseman, but there's a lot of people who think he has, he he's engaged. He's active enough. And with the way that the modern defensive game is, you know, he can be, uh, you know, he can bump up to a first pair guy or play with first pair type defenseman and he used to be a first pair defenseman that's so much better than than ben Sherratt, who like at his best was uh eric goodbranson you know type defenseman i i don't know like it just makes so much more sense what they're doing you know they got bertuzzi and he it's a good price the risk is just like bertuzzi's health and mm. stuff but it's not like but it's like when he's played he's played at a clip and in a style that would fit the team where it's like yeah it's totally worth paying and if that. he doesn't it's not like the bruins don't have other options because well, they do and and it's not like the bruins aren't completely committed to bergeron's timeline yeah and I, I also mean, th- and, and and look at Tampa too. You can quibble about the amount of picks they trade and what they did for Tanner Janot, but look at what they do. They're yeah, completely they're, they're committed tied to the to, timeline of their stars. They're tied to Stamkos and Kucherov. As soon as they fa- as soon as Kucherov, Stamkos, and Hedman fall off, it doesn't matter what happens because it's going to take like eight years to come back. So, but who they cares? don't care because they because they know what they're in for. Because you know? they have the hardware already. Because they know they can they can probably get some more. And that's why, and that's why Boston is always retooling on the fly successfully. That's why Tampa has been able to retool through a few different cores uh, and coaches and general managers. That's why you know Carolina has done so well. I mean, 
Carolina's had different owners, uh, mm-hmm. is in the same bad market and everything, different GMs, different coaches and stuff. But somehow they managed to transition and keep that momentum going uh, and, and build consistent franchises. I mean, it's tough to look at Carolina and Tampa Bay and be like, wow, they are smoking. You could argue even Dallas is better at it than the Panthers, or even yeah, Nashville, I mean, and they're now rebuilding. Da- I mean, yeah, you think about Dallas has had, had Mike Badano, had had Brett Hall, has a cup. You know, they they were constantly in the playoffs. They, you know, like I think Dallas has probably been in the playoffs more than the Panthers have been in the NHL. <laughs> I mean, it feels like it. I, but it all, all, but like all it. of what we're saying here is, is th- about the Panthers is this, you, they suck. what they're, well, yes, but what can be done is not impossible. It's not out of the realm of possibility that this team can be that. We're not asking for perfection. We're literally asking to pull the knife out of your back that you put there yourself. It's what this season is. As frustrating as any I have followed for any team I have followed, and trust me, I've had some frustrating ones that I have yeah. followed. What are the teams you follow? Jacksonville, Tottenham. Oh. Yep, yep. The New oh. York Mets. Do I need to? Oh. Do I need to go any further? Maryland sports. I don't hate you Maryland even, sports right now. And you weren't even alive for the best of Daryl Strawberry. I was not alive for the best of Daryl Strawberry. No. And so when I say that this is one of the more frustrating seasons, it's because I saw what was possible. And they just decided not to take it. So let's, you've talked about the defensemen. And that's, I mean, priority number one. Even the national insiders are saying that. But again, you go to this offseason, you will actually have a first round pick to trade, but it's still in three years. You have a second round pick to trade and you've got some prospects who don't have a ton of shine on them at the moment. You're going to have to find a way to get that guy. Like, and I am, and you and I talked about this when they were, you know, when the Orloff trade was happening. I don't think that getting a 31, 32-year-old who you're going to have to give extended term to, which Bill Zito doesn't do, it's the one good thing he does as a GM, other than three guys he has not given out extended term, you're going to have to do that to get Dmitry Orlov, and that's just simply put, not worth it. If you're given like two years you know, for a reasonable cap hit, sure, but why would he want to come to Florida for two years at a reasonable cap hit when he could probably get more from other teams, even considering the Florida-Russian factor? I just want this team to find the ability to be creative and say, yes, we have to take some risks. Yeah, we took risks last year and it didn't work. What lessons can we learn from the risks that blew up in our face so we can fix that next time around? Because Alexander Barkov's not getting younger. Matthew Kachuk's not getting younger. These guys still have a few more years in their primes. It's not like you can, you know, say that the the window's closing. It's not. But it is not as open as it was. And now you have to take advantage of the fact that these guys are not going to be at this level forever. And that's what I want them to do because essentially they punted on a year when you're getting prime contributions from the best player the franchise has ever seen and one of the best wingers in the league right now. They punted on it. And for what? Because you got spooked because of the trade deadline and Tampa breaking you in half? Like, why? That's not how this should work. And that's what I, I was listening to Jeff Merrick and, and, and Wish talk about this on, you know, their, their hits on Merrick's show around the All-Star game. 
and they were asking, what is the defining characteristic of Florida Panthers hockey? And they didn't touch on it, but I texted it to you, I think. It's false dawns. It's false hope. It's the idea that they are going to become that consistent franchise that they haven't ever become. You know, the Stanley Cup final in 96 was supposed to be that. It wasn't. You know, Pavel Bury was supposed to be that. It wasn't. 2012, not really, but I guess in theory. 2016 was certainly supposed to be that, and it wasn't. And now 2022 was supposed to be that, and it turned out to not be that. That's what's frustrating to me. Because all these other good teams have that built-in consistency and have the ability to go back to the well. Again, even the teams like Nashville, who had their one shot but at least got to the final through it, you know, and Dallas, who has made their runs. The Kings, another good example of that. The Panthers haven't had that consistency, and that's what's killing them. They want to be the Tampa Bay Lightning very, very badly, and yet they're not really understanding what what the secret sauce of the Lightning actually is. And and honestly, it's picking a lane and having commitment to it. Yeah, it's it's and, the thing and, that I wanted to if ask. You're not, it's if the you're thing not I ask of all my it, teams is, what is your vision? I can at least get behind you, even if I don't agree with your vision, if you pick a lane and stick to it. And the Florida Panthers, it looked like they had a lane and then swerved out of it because of a car if, crash. If If you're not getting the results you want, it's not always because of the style you do it in or because of your process. You know, sometimes you just, or like sometimes it's like improving the process you're doing, not get a whole new process or get a whole new style or change completely your identity. It sometimes it's like you just weren't good enough. You know, like they didn't maybe have the right roster or you know, maybe they needed, they were down a coach or something, or they needed this or that, or like little additions to it. But to go completely so far away and to change the, change the plan twice in one offseason after a, a president's trophy is, is too much. I mean, they literally said no to a prime age top left hand defenseman in, that's from the area in Chikrin. And again, I'm not saying Chikrin's the be all end all at all, but you know, they they said no to that. They passed up on getting him. They could have last year, they could have this year if they really wanted to, and they decided not to. They made a conscious decision not to. They made a conscious decision to throw everything out the water for Matt out the window for Matthew Kachuk. Now you can say Matthew Kachuk and Jacob Chikrin aren't necessarily the same level as a player, but, I mean, I'm not asking them to throw the whole plan out for Chikrin. I'm just saying that the plan was to add D. I don't understand why they didn't figure out a way to focus it and get better defensemen versus, oh, it didn't work. Our top left winger has to be better. And look, I love Matthew at Kachuk's the detriment game. to our defenseman. He's yeah. he's incredible. He's great. He's great. And and I'm not even saying don't do the trade. I'm just saying it can't change the whole plan because to me, my plan that I wanted to happen after the playoffs involved getting a player like Matthew Kachuk, even if it costs what it costs. That's fine. And it and they what the, what sucks about this the most <laughs> is the Matthew Kachuk time. We're not going to see that because they're not even getting yeah. to the playoffs, which is yeah. beyond and, and, annoying. And and the whole thing is oh well, it makes sense because they weren't expecting Matthew. 
what do you mean they weren't expecting it? That's their fault. It's their job to go out and find this stuff. It's their job to always be in touch with teams. They, you have, like, even if you think a player is going to resign with the team, you have to be putting pressure on the GM. Like, every, every single NHL team should be putting on pressure on Toronto right now to resign Austin Matthews, not this offseason, but next offseason. Like, it should be calls. They should be doing, they should just be texting other GMs late at night, texting Dubas late at night, like, Hey, what about this, 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 this for Matthews' rights? You know, mm-hmm. like just, just getting it, you know, like that's their job. Like that's literally what their job is. And if it's not them, it should be somebody else. It should be an assistant general manager. It should be, you know, whoever you want to, you know, but there should be someone's, there should be a team of people who are poking and prodding and trying to pry loose top end talent from other teams that's already in the NHL that are already in the, their system or, or what have you, you should be, you should even be going further than that. You should be looking for teams that are likely to give up a first round draft pick, trying to find players you're willing to give up for those, for that first round draft pick and make those moves. You should be able to be like, this team's probably going to be vulnerable next year to this, this team's pro you know, like to, to just be like you were caught off guard by it is not acceptable. Like, that's not like, oh, well, we had to change the plan last minute because when we were waiting forever to make a coach, we weren't, we weren't trying to get a difference maker on, on the roster. Mm-hmm. And that's what they, I mean, I, I have no idea what's going to happen this offseason other than, like, they, I d- they better get the I defense I don't, because, men. I mean, because the, the windows of possibility are Zito sleeps through this trade de- deadline versus Zito wakes at last trade deadline and goes crazy. <sighs> you know, like, and everything in between, between the Sam Reinhardt and the Duclair and, you know, all the other moves he's If made. I was going to trade one of the forwards, it would probably be Reinhardt for cost reasons because he's already making the right. money. And, I wouldn't... And, and he has to be resigned first. Yeah. And yes. And if you well, him and Duclair have to be resigned at the same but time. I but I think Duclair, because of the fact that he's spent so much time looking for a consistent home, and it feels and, like he's genuinely likes and, playing in well, Florida. And he's very involved in the community. Yeah, I mean, no, and no, he's I, already, and I he's already made vocal promises happen. years in advance to the the community here. So it, you 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 at least know that he's whether directly or indirectly, he's sending signs that he's open to being here long-term Sam Reinhart at a higher cap hit. Um, and you know, probably going to want a certain level of playing time, et cetera. But another reason declare over Reinhart, I really like Reinhart, but what I really liked them for were the tips were for the way he just kind of finds pucks around the net was just for some of the IQ stuff that Kachuk has brought, to be honest with you. It kind of um, feels like I, Reinhardt's game, and I don't want to say it is entirely this, but it kind of feels like Reinhardt's game's been made a slight bit well, redundant. They added another right-hander on the power play in Montour, because now they have Montour Ekblad. Mm-hmm. They they added Kachuk, who kind of does the tips and that kind of stuff. You know, you can have Bennett play the middle spot if you really need to, and and it's a shame. And like, why the hell Carter Verhage's not on a power play one? Like, I would pay money to not go to games. I would I would pay the money it costs for season tickets if it guaranteed Carter Verhage would be on the power play, first unit. Mm-hmm. 
Like, I tell Matt Caldwell, get at me. Slide <laughs> in the DMs. That, I will. How that works? Like, I so, will. I will do it. But, so, um, also, and like they can donate the tickets to to charity. I don't care. Donate to, like, to Anthony Duclair's like, charitable like, work. Also, like you know, right? Like with Reinhardt, like I like Duclair is lethal off the rush. They don't. They they got like. One of the things that I loved about Mason Marchman, and you know me, I I had a I won't say hate love, but a like love a like dislike relationship with Mason Marchman. Um, but one thing he was really good at was finding routes on the rush, getting behind a defenseman or in between defenders, or picking a puck like through skates or like just making making rush chances that would have died and gone the other way on a counter strike in a real dangerous situation actually continue in the possession for Florida. And um, I know a lot of people have articulated that too. I'm not the first, but like Florida replaced them with a bunch of guys like cousins, white Eric Stahl, like Eric Stahl has a bunch of goals, but it's not because he picks good routes off the rush. Colin white, Nick cousins. They don't, they kind of, drive the net or they kind of straight line it or they just do the simple like oh i'm the third man got third man back so i'm gonna like cut and bump and hang back into the middle and kind of go for a drop pass on the puck carry on the far side or whatever it it would be um they're not creative they're not they don't keep plays a lot they don't like kind of do that off the rush duclair does we missed that this year but his speed and his ability to finish off the rush is huge. The Panthers don't finish off the rush. So well, one the Panthers shot, don't finish, period. Right. So one shot off the rush turns into three to four saves, you know, off a cycle possession of just, you know, oh, we miss the rush, then we get the puck back, then we cycle it up, shot, another shot, another shot, they break it out. We're tired now, so they score. Um, that's, I mean, how many times have you felt like you just saw the Panthers have a really good cycle game, get some shots off, feel like you just got goal lead and then it goes right the other way and they score within 15 seconds. Oh like yeah. It, like that, that, that probably feels really real to a lot of people who are, who are still listening to this podcast, but. Oh, Hey, uh, Hey, 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 we have new listeners yeah. because the Ryan Nanny show, which another one I should plug because it's, yeah, that it's was evergreen. Great. I, I, I got around to it. I, I did do Corey first because, um, you know, just first of all, I love Corey's data. Um, reminds me i need to resubscribe i took a little break um but also you know his music opinions are are top notch and we really vibe with music so you know we have to support uh parent to be parents yeah. you know we have to support that as well I yeah mean, but yeah uh, another great point but also like besides just like being such a gracious person with his time and knowledge and information and stuff um like what he was what he he was doing was putting in the work when a lot of people and i include myself into this usually say they do the work or are like treat things like a hobby he was doing the work at a time when it was groundbreaking and really pioneering what a lot of people of a younger generation are lucky enough to kind of walk into 
and kind of set up shop and do their own things and get hired by teams in their young 20s and stuff using data that he does and just doing the viz and stuff like that. But there's a few people in the hockey analytics world that we know of that have said no to the Panthers. Micah, well, I don't think Micah said no to the Panthers, but Micah has been asked to be hired by teams uh, multiple He did projects yeah. for teams, but he doesn't want to. And I also he's, admire. He's too good of a soul to be corrupted by that team yeah. stuff. I, well, I just admire people. He's too who, pure. I admire people who say, I think my work should be public. I don't want to take it private. I've always admired that. I, but also, the Ryan Andy show is really. You gotta, you gotta respect the laborer. Yes, yeah. oh, always. And I also, and I also should say that that just was a different kind of show that I wanted to do because there yeah. was an opportunity. And it's not Absolutely. the kind of show. Look, Tommy is awesome. I love him, but that's not a show that he would work on. You no. know, you have to have a certain mindset when you're going into that. You know, when you're going into a show, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're going to try to riff, and it's all improv. You don't know where well, it's going to go. And and I'm not, and I'm not as strong in other sports. And I and I like, listen, I'm I'm very progressive in a lot of things, but I'm very prickly in other things. And like sometimes, like if I'm just not feeling it or it's not my vibe or whatever, I put up walls. I'm kind of a you know so. It wouldn't. I I totally agree with you. It was it was really fun to hear you in that setting, and I hope you know you bring it more to the channel and if, when you can. Oh, I love doing uh, that. Uh, yeah. Ryan is hilarious. It's just so funny because I mean I am a college football fan, so the full cast is not new to me. But to teach him about the finer points in the history of the Florida Panthers that he didn't know about was actually quite funny to teach him about why the rats exist was was really. <laughs> he's doing the whole thing that about going on podcasts, even if he's not qualified for them, which it's a bit, but it's a really funny bit. And yeah. it's just, it's great stuff to listen to. And I hope you enjoyed it. The, the downloads on, on a uh, Podbean tell us that you have listened to it. So that's why I, that's why I wanted to do it. And it worked out and it was one of my favorite shows. Anyway, I yes. want to just, I want to circle this back to Panthers briefly before we just touch on other things of the trade deadline that you wanted to get to this team they're not making the playoffs. They're going to pretend that they're making the playoffs because they'll probably do something stupid like beat Pittsburgh and then lose to Vegas, and we're going to go through the song and dance again. They need to make decisions. And this is the time where you can be bold but not stupid. And our friend uh, Brian at Metal Panthers brought it up. He said it wouldn't be an overreaction if both Bill Zito and Paul Maurice got fired this offseason. I'm more lenient to Bill Zito because this is his first coaching hire, even though it's been absolutely awful, and he does have a good bit of track record before what has happened recently. But I will say this. If they bring back Paul Maurice, and I, the entire fan base at this point is turned on him, whether the front office has or not remains to be seen, and I don't think they're going to, sadly. If they go into next year with Paul Maurice, you know exactly what's going to come. From the first 20 or so games, we're going to get to Thanksgiving. They're going to be exactly the same position they are in now. And my fear is that that would be the case even with a better roster. And so then what are you going to do? Then you're going to have to fire him because it's not working. And who are you going to hire? We've talked about that before. But also, like, again, the elements of the primes of Barkov, Kachuk, etc., etc. How much more of that can you afford to waste? But also, if Paul Maurice goes in next year as the head coach of the Florida Panthers. I think Bill Zito's seat gets much hotter than if he fires him. I understand he would have to eat money, but Vinny Viola and Doug Sifu have plenty of money. That's not, that shouldn't be an issue. 
Yeah, uh, and if you ever if you look at Doug Sifu's Twitter lately, is all about uh, screwing you over uh, with their financial institution. So they're definitely trying to get they're they're lobbying the federal government right now to get even more money in a very sketchy way. So love to see it. Oh. Uh, Doug, hit me up uh, or block me on my burner, uh, <laughs> whichever you prefer. Oh boy. Anyway, uh, but, the, uh, but, but that's my point is like, yeah, I, I, a quick point, And I, I think you're totally right. And I think this has to, this is kind of like, let's not repeat the gallant situation. And I'm not talking about the taxi cab and how it was handled, but if your leash is so short that, you could see yourself in a certain circumstance firing a coach 20 to 25 games into the season, fire him in the off season. Cause bringing up Jordy Kinnear, or I like to call him Greg Kinnear, um, you know, in the middle of the season is not appetizing to me. It's you know, not going to work. Like, and, and you know, the, the coaches who are available in the middle of the season are not as great uh, as the ones that are available in the off season, just by going by my example of, well, if they replaced Quinville with an experienced coach, they would have, they would have had a week in the right spot to hire Boudreaux or Tortorella when that was it. That's all basically worth hiring. So you're going to be basically in that situation where you have one retread versus another retread probably. And that's it in the midseason. So you basically, like you said, you're having Peter Horachuk or, you know, you're getting some of these, you know, Mark Crawford's coming in. Like, you know, you're oh, not that like, sounds miserable. Right. Man, man it, it gets makes, suspended in Switzerland for homophobic comments. Mark. Yeah. Crawford. I mean, like, like, you know, like uh, you got to do it in the summer because look at last summer, look at how many coaches were available. Look at how many they could have had. And that's an untalked about topic. Why no coaches besides Paul Maurice, wanted to be in Florida and if that was G- if that was a team decision or coaches not wanting to coach in Florida decision uh that's that's that would be really fun to to find I would I would love to dig into that but I also think look at what could happen this offseason I'm not saying any of this is going to but let's think about what could happen this offseason if the Maple Leafs get lightninged which I'm going to predict they're going to because the lightning you know break minds and reap souls if Sheldon Keefe is available you should hire him. If the Penguins, for some stupid reason, decide that they want to go another direction from Mike Sullivan, then you should hire him. Well, I mean, they might, they might, it might be a mutual parting of ways if Hextall gets fired and new GM comes in and wants to do a rebuild. But, like, that's I what mean, I'm saying. I don't if, know if, they if those coaches are available, you have to hire them. If Peter Laviolette gets let go by Washington, I mean, the dude is beyond a retread at this point, but I would take him over Paul Maurice. You know, I mean, the like I, I'm almost to the point of saying I will take Kinnear over Maurice. I'm almost like I'm almost to the point where, like, it's kind of like the brunette situation. Actually, it's worse than the brunette situation because I think that there was untapped potential in brunette. I've always said that there's something he was doing right. There's something he's probably helping the Devils with, and there's something he's going to help a team with when he becomes a head coach. The fit just wasn't right then and there with Florida. But with Maurice, there's none of that. Like, there's nothing I don't think he has left to offer. I think he's a detriment. And what evidence do, you, do we have that he's going to change what he is doing 
Right. Because there's because, no personnel. Because if you look at what what was he brought in to change and what did he have, we're, we're, we're 100% assuming it's going to be 82 games at this point, 82 games to show he could do, tighten up the defense, blah, blah, blah. You could argue that this is the worst defensive team in a while for the Panthers. This is the worst defensive team since Bugner's second and, year. But but also what frustrates me about the Panthers and coaching is, look at what happened right after the 19th season when Bugner got let go because Joel Quenville was available. And yeah. I remember we did a podcast with our, our friends from Panther Parade which it's not called that anymore, but I called it that. I apologize, and, folks. And congratulations on them on, oh, the, yes, on very joining nice. Florida Hockey Now. You know, when we were talking about people who do work, I look. I definitely I respect anybody who covers yeah, this team yeah. and is doing and is trying to put their spin on it. They're all very nice people. Yeah, and I'm happy and for everybody there. They're independent thinkers. They're passionate, and they put in the work, and they have fun doing it. They like soccer. You know, like they they're just. I, you know, I would always like to ha- hang out, spend time yeah. there. We need more of people like that, whether you agree or disagree with one or a number of their takes and stuff. I mean, you can uh, have disagreements they, on takes if you have reason yeah. to back it up. But my point was, yeah. like, I remember doing that podcast with them and talking about them hiring Joel Quenville again before we knew his indiscretions <laughs> and saying, okay, that's what you should be doing. If you know you have a chance to get the guy, you go do it. And Again, his indiscretions aside, hiring Joel Quenville and paying him all that money was categorically the right thing to do, and it worked. The problem, and I, I, I don't want to open up the can of worms as if Joel Quenville's reinstated. There's too well, many things going that's, on there. I was just about to get uh, there because if you've noticed anything about the trade, the gaps in trade coverages, there's always a little tidbit about Quenville and Bowman, what they've been doing with. Kim Davis with Sheldon Kennedy uh, that they've been putting in the hours that they're likely to get a decision from Bettman in the off season about what they're allowed to do next year. So, you know, it, it seems to be coming. I, I think it's going to be coming. I mean, you don't doubt what those reporters Quintville are saying. Quintville or Maurice. God, I, I don't want to think about that right now. I, that's not, a, that's not yeah. something I mean, I, I would take to it me, would take me a lot of time to think to about me, that. I, I'm not saying I'm hoping Quinville comes back, but I think at this point, knowing unless there's other coaches that pop up, Quinville would probably be the best option for the team and something that I believe they would have the first pass at because he would technically be under contract. I think that's um, possible. And if I think about the coaches that could be available, again, you don't know what's going to happen in the playoffs, but Listen, I I'm not saying I agree or dis I like I category am not a fan. That's not a that's not how I think a coach should operate what happened. I think he should take it upon himself to be more than just a hockey coach. But at the end of the day, Florida Panthers do not live up to the standards of turning that down when they bring in Nick Cousins, when they bring in um Michael Delzato when they have owners that do very, very, very bad things um, and associate with very, very bad politicians. Um, you know, at a, I, 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 make I, my I don't point. know. I make my point about morals in sports. 
Yeah, my, my point is, my point about morals in sports is I said this in the Quenville stuff, and I'll say this now. There is no defined line. I guess in some cases there's a defined line, but it's in very unique circumstances. Oh, Mostly, by the way, uh, Zito is just a, a quote from Zito's press availability right now. I'm pleased with Paul Maurice on so many different levels, and I believe he is the man to lead us to the cup right sure, now. Sure, sure, Jan. So, sure, Jan. so this is, uh, here's what I'm going to tell you. The number one issue with the Florida Panthers is Bill Zito. Point blank, period. I'm not saying he should be fired. I'm saying right now, all lo- all roads lead back to his dumb decisions and his willingness to stick with Paul Maurice. Yeah. No, it's I, I just tweeted. I mean, I just tweeted. Trade Barkov. If, if Maurice is the coach next year, trade Barkov. Just save him. Save him from it. You can... I don't care. I mean, Kachuk, he picked to be here and everything, knowing who the coach was and everything. Uh, Barkov didn't. Uh, he, he doesn't look very happy on the ice and everything. I, I don't even <laughs> want to imagine what the re- – I actually, I do know what the, the responses are from the fans, and they are probably revolting. Absolutely. And, and they have every and, right to. And you know what? I I honestly – if pe- – if, if, I know some people from the Florida organization do pop in and out of this podcast, and they're still listening at this point. I would love a chance to talk to Bill Zito and tell him this to his face. I would absolutely love it. And I just want to ask I, him. I, I want to ask him what he see. I want to ask from a journalistic perspective. What do you see in Paul Maurice that we're not seeing from the outside? I would love to have a hockey talk, and it would be probably passionate, but I would not be confrontational. I'd be respectful of his place and his status in the game. But at the same time, I I honestly would love to hear him explain to me and, and try to combat what I'm saying. Cause right now he has the he has the great job of spitting bullshit and not having to defend it. Unfortunately the climate of of Panthers coverage does not allow for people to exist that would question it. And a lot of people's livelihoods cannot be risked to, to just ask Bill Zito, you know, to defend Paul Maurice a little harder. Um, but if, if Zito had to, it would fall. It, he would look like an idiot. I mean, he would stumble over his words. He wouldn't be able to prove it. He'd look like an idiot because you can't defend Paul Maurice. Um, I just and- want to know whatever, whatever you have said, is what you've said. But for me, going to journalism school, you know, my questions would be, what are you seeing that we're not? What are you seeing that you have with all the numbers and all the things that you have in your organization that you've built that we're not seeing? Because I'm questioning it because this team's three games over hockey 500. I I would just love to know if he was, if he, like, like we talked at length about this, the 60 staying the 60, not having seven or eight or whatever, not giving Carlson call-ups he's earned, not, you know, not giving Fitzgerald a chance, um, you know, all of this different stuff, things that can ca- help you catch lightning in a bottle. Right. Um, or, or just, you know, let you show what you have. I mean, cause at the end of the day, Zito really wasted the year. Because not only did they not go to the playoffs and have a shot for Kachuk and to win the cup and everything, but they didn't even see if the like they didn't even promote guys and see if that like we don't know 
if Carlson is an NHL defenseman anymore. We don't know if Kanunin, who had a good year, could step up and play some games. We don't know if Fitzgerald could have played some games and made Gudis more expendable earlier before all the defensemen were traded. We don't, or should be even re-signed, really. You know, we don't know that what Ludwig's got. He had a great year at the, a, a very good year, I should say, at the AHL level and deserved some time and stuff. You know, Kierstead, you know, what are they going to do with him? Well, who knows? Because you didn't get to see him. I mean, yeah, you'll, you'll get AHL staff, stuff done but the problem is you have a head coach who apparently you're keeping who only looks at what have you done for me at the nhl level lately and what and even what, then that's not necessarily or, or, enough or or in paul maurice's book what did you do in the nhl level 10 years ago that i still hang on to <laughs> it's exactly right because i mean th- and this is the last point i'll end it on before we just transition briefly to other things around the league what other team in the league is Eric Stahl and Mark Stahl absolutely not able to be scratched. What are they? What, what are they? 18-minute play a, a night players, 20-minute a night players on what other teams? And what teams are serious about making the playoffs that they are on? I couldn't it's give you an maybe, answer for that. It's maybe one or two teams out west because they wouldn't have expected to be in the playoffs this year, like Seattle maybe. You know, you could see like a young, you know, they're burgeoning – franchise maybe they get them in to help with the locker room and to help them set routines and things like that you know what i mean like that makes sense but yeah i'm not here not here Uh, and and another zito quote on gudis because this is important because we just talked about if you weren't going to trade him you have to get it you have to get him signed like first of all you should have it should have been if you want to stay sign a contract if you don't want to stay we're probably going to trade you and that should have been that but I know, you know, they want to be nice to Racco Gudis because being nice is what Bill Zito is about. He was nice to the Flyers last year and gave him a first-round pick when he didn't need to, as proven by the Patrick Kane ordeal. But anyway, Zito says, we started talking to Ratko a little bit, and we'll continue. We would like to keep him if we can. That's obviously my emphasis. But to me, those phrases do not tell me that you have assurances. It's not like we're we're confident we'll get something done. We're you know you know it's we're we're we have good we've had good talks. It's we started talking to Ratko a little bit in my English class. I was in writing major. I don't know if I say that enough on this. <laughs> I, I I I try to get five dollars back for every mention so I can hopefully make up for that degree. But um. You know, started talking. You're already basically removing yourself from the situation. You're putting it started in the past, you know, like, and then a little bit, and we'll continue. We would like to keep him if we can. I mean, that, for somebody who's as confident as Zito is, I mean, and and I may have disagreed with what he said in July in this path and everything, but he confidently asserted it, right? Hmm. If someone who's very confident and purposeful and intentional with his words is saying this, my response is Gudis is hinting that he's going to go to market and he's going to see what he's worth and all this stuff. Because, I mean, look around. A, 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 a guy who's a right-handed guy who can maybe play 20 minutes, who's rough and tumble, 
who's a vet but is, you know, 32, 33. He's not like 34, 35. And he's he's played a decent amount of games for his style. He's toned down his suspensions. He should easily crack $4 million. Do, I mean, are, the, are the Panthers really trying to get into that? I'd be absolutely I dead mean, set like, against that. I mean, like, there's, like, I mean... I mean, he could go back to Washington for four million, because I mean, what's Washington's one goal? Protect Ovechkin to score goals during the regular season. Racco Gudis helps you do that. I mean, mm-hmm. he gets, you know, like he'll he'll be somebody that you can plug and play. Say you're competing, and and you know, try to get as many goals for you know, like that he's familiar with them. They like him, you know. I. He could go, you know, Pittsburgh, another team trying to keep keep it together and keep kicking, getting a kick out the can. Uh, you know, there's a lot of teams that are competing that think, you know, adding him to do what he did with Mahora on the third pair is worth three and a half to four million dollars a year. Florida can't afford that. Oh, absolutely not. No. So, so what 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 are we doing here? I I I I get more and more confused every time Bill Zito opens his mouth, and it's not to say we acquired a top pair left-handed defenseman. We fired Paul Maurice. Unless that that comes out of his mouth, I get more and more confused as the day goes on, as the days go on, because, and I get more and more hopeful that they trade Barkov. Not that it's a smart, not that they should, because if you trade Barkov. You're basically wringing your hands of Kachuk winning a cup. You're basically turning him into a way, way too talented Stephen Weiss or J Bone. You know, like like dude is not going to accomplish anything if they get rid of Barkov because, I mean, how with the assets they have, what they get back for Barkov would be the only real trade chips and stuff they have. Maybe Sam Oskevich, maybe Evan Naus, you know, that maybe Spencer Knight, depending on how you feel, which we haven't talked about. Well, I, the only thing I want to say on Spencer Knight is whatever is going, whatever is going on with him, and we don't know, George Richards had a line that said this is not related to drugs or anything like that, which I, I believe him. Whatever it is, I hope he, right. he figures it out, and I hope that I he gets the piece he deserves because mental health, mental health issues are serious, and... I want him to be a happy human being. Forget however, being a hockey player. However, and as somebody who's had to miss playoffs of a hockey season to attend to their mental health, that person being me, I'm I'm going to say there's no, and I said it at the time it was signed, that the Spencer Knight deal was a horrible mistake. $4.5 million for what? A guy you don't even know is going to be playing next year or what shape he's going to be in or what you know are you going to have to keep bob because of it well that means you're keeping the 10 million dollar contract and the cap it or if you get rid of it and you eat some of that money you're gonna have to spend another four or five million on getting a really strong one b because you're not sure and and listen i i'm this is this is just speaking agnostically of Spencer Knight as a person. Spencer Knight as a person comes first and foremost. But looking at it like an NHL 22 video game trying to win a cup, there needs to be decisions made about how they handle the goalie situation next and all this stuff. And they have what? Like 
eleven million dollars to get eight players on the roster and a top pair defenseman right now. I mean, it is, and this is a goalie who's not proven anything and, and has, yeah. And, 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 and whether, and, and again, I'm not saying that, you know, his development has anything to do with the absence or anything, but his stats are bad. His development hasn't been good and he hasn't played that many games. He's start, he's off his ELC and he's, at a level of a contract that teams are getting Ottinger and Sorokin levels of performance from, a.k.a. two top five goalies in the league. And this is a guy that was built as generational, as the linchpin, as this is how we're going to make it work because we're going to get so much surplus value from this goalie. Because he's so mature. He's so polished. He can, he can play this young. They listen to everything his agent asked for. They never said no to him. He wanted to play right away. He wanted to play NHL games. He was too good for the AHL. He didn't he would not they for whatever reason, the organization or his agent or him or all of them felt that he was too good to play games in the AHL. And he's not. And and like all of like I would trade Spencer Knight. And it has nothing to do with the I would set it before everything transpired. It has nothing to do with that. You know, and if he comes back, I would trust him to be the goalie and everything. But you got to be prepared in case the performance that hasn't been there doesn't show back up, doesn't show up. He's had two to three, maybe four games, like a handful of NHL games that even came close to showing the promise he has over three contract years. I, I, Everything about this team is falling apart. And there's Bill Zito is the architect and orchestrator of all of, of the team. And it's up to him to, to get this over the line next year. Because the whole plan was we will suffer this year to be good next year. Well, we suffered. So we better be good next year. The honeymoon because, has absolutely ended. It's gone now. Yeah. And- I mean, because... Y- y- if they, what happens if next year doesn't go well? Oh, they're cleaning everything out, or at least they should and, be. And 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 you don't want to be in that position. Like I mean, because because you just mortgage the future of really of twenty three and the twenty four really good drafts. You just mortgage all that future because you were committed to winning, and then you didn't and then you didn't win because of your own choices. So then you blow it up. It's the cascading maximum pain that I keep talking about that I'm so tired of. They just go from one error in influences the next error, which influences the next error, which influences the next error. And they keep making it worse and worse and worse until it falls apart. And they, and like, I mean, to be honest, they only built it once, built it up once. They got lucky in the nineties that, that, Bill Lindsay was able to score a goal and Scott Mellonby was halfway decent for a couple of, you know, like that team was not that good. I mean, and, they got lucky that everybody got flummoxed by the trap until the yeah. abs. Yeah, they had, and I guess you could say they had Roger Nielsen and that was about it. Yep. But I mean, like it's, it, they're, it, they're it, ha- it is frustrating, but it, it they're is due a reckoning, man. I mean, 
Well, I think that I think that the rec. Well, it, it's already starting. If you look at the tweets, man, the tweets are not surprising. Like you wanted them to be steady, and they're chaotic. You want them to you want them to change it up, and they and they and they say the consistency is best. It, I mean, it's not it's not like Ron Hextall and Pittsburgh levels of zig and zagging right now, but it's getting close. Getting and, close. Well, well, it's not it's and it's not Philly levels of inaction, but it's. So as we try to um. Cleanse our souls from that, or at least attempt to. What what kind of stuff do we have to cleanse our souls? I'm going to – maybe ayahuasca. i got to get into Aaron Rodgers' ayahuasca <laughs> and dark rooms to maybe cleanse myself from that. Uh, I can't believe yeah. I just said that. Uh, are there anything else around the league you wanted to talk about? Because, I mean, look, the Panthers did absolutely nothing, but this trade deadline was kind of nuts until Friday. The two big things are – Rangers and Chikrin. And, and to me, it, it Chikrin's just... Arizona seemed to botch two trades, one with Boston and one with LA, which obviously would have been a better place for Chikrin and more, you know, I think fit, you know, his long-term plan and everything. Uh, but it's, it most likely was the sal- salary cap that... The, they Arizona needed to take back money and Arizona did not want to retain or take back money because they're their owners. They're cheap. They're a terrible franchise. Uh, and that became the sticking point. So the laughably low value they got for top pair, mid twenties, left-hand defenseman uh, who signed at a good cap hit is ri- ridiculous. I mean, I, I, I would have sold a lot on the Panthers to to make that happen, um, because, I mean, w- what's the market now? You know, like is Miro Heiskanen suddenly going to become loose? Is uh, you know who who's a left-handed like maybe they get Quinn Hughes? Like, can they get Quinn Hughes? Like, I mean, I don't know how many left-handed. I mean, first Eric pair defense. Yeah, but that I mean that comes with a lot of risk and a big cap hit. Like maybe they'll take Bob's hit. You know, we talked about that before, but you know, you're switching one ten million dollar cap hit for another. I mean, you're still. I mean, yeah, like, and you know, like I, I would do it, but there's only so many guys who are top pair left-handed defensemen, uh, who actually are also a good fit to play with Ekblad, because Forsling and Ekblad just are good but like second pairing good and that's not good enough and they don't work together not really not not enough it it actually brings out some of the the worst tendencies of forsling where it gets him covered too much he he un like with montour montour gets back so quickly forsling can plan that into his aggressiveness on the strong side his left side with that, with Ekblad not being that fast of a skater and that fast getting back and usually like wiping out and falling and on the sliding on the ice. What is it with Whatever. him wiping out and his sticks uh, breaking all the time lately? Uh, well, I I'm not a huge Bauer fan, so I would chalk it up to Bauer. But also, I have not been a huge fan of the uh, skate sharpening of the Florida Panthers because a lot of guys seem to fall on the road in the first period. Uh, a lot, and that uh, Barry Rothman pointed that out, and said, and we know he's very 
uh, intelligent, uh, and he was thinking that it's a, a pitch or a hollow change and just not being ready for other ice besides their own. I would not have any clue on anything equipment related, yeah. so and, I'll defer to others on that. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense to me from a player standpoint, but I'm not, I, I'm not like a pro shop guy as much as I'm a gear whore. The but... only thing I wanted to say about Chikrin from a Panthers perspective was is that you had incredible leverage at any point to make this trade happen. Because yeah, if Jacob like Trickrin knew that the Florida the Panthers were... Months, the last 30 months. Yeah, pretty point. much. If you knew that... If he knew that they were interested, my thought process was, okay, he almost certainly would take going to Florida over anywhere else for obvious reasons. And they did not have the ability to put that together. And now he's in your division. And now he's probably going to be part of a team that's better than you. Well, yeah, team that's likely to finish higher in the standings than you this year. Um, and a team that would call themselves still coming out of a rebuild versus a team that won the president's trophy last year and says that they're in a cup window. I love this trade uh, for Ottawa. They got yeah. great value I mean, for Chikrin. And yeah. that's exactly what they needed. Yeah. And I mean, you look, you now here, Ottawa is a good team to maybe for the Panthers to target. They got Chikrin. Uh, let me let me actually pull up their cap friendly here. Uh, but they have a lot of good young defensemen um, that, you know, with Chikrin on the left side blocking, they might be more willing to trade one. Um, so they have Shabbat on the left side. They have Chikrin on the left side. Uh, he can play left and right. God, wouldn't that be nice? Um, that would be novel. Uh, and they have Jake Sanderson who's another left-hand D, Eric Brandstrom. Um, let's see, they're non-rock. Uh, Bernard Doctor's a right-handed D, Lassie Thompson. But they have Thomas Hamera, who's a, a Finn. Uh, he's in the, I think he's in Finnish Junior. Or actually, no, he's in the CHL. He came over in the CHL. But uh, he, he would definitely fit pl- what Florida's trying to do. Uh, and he definitely throws his body around and stuff. Um, that he was just drafted. I think he's 18 or 19. Mm. Um, so that, that well, would be, we, we talked know, about the Kings like as a place to go to, if yeah, you're going to be training somebody like Sam Reinhardt, again, hypotheticals, hypotheticals, but you know, there, y- there are options out there if you're willing to look and maybe Ottawa's one of those teams. Now that they have Chikrin, they would be willing to part with some of their defense guys, even if their value isn't what they once were. This team has been, really at its best under Bill Zito by taking flyers on unheralded guys. I'm not saying that's what they should do when you need to get your, you know, grade A left-hand shot defenseman, and that's exactly what they need at this point. But you got to look somewhere, man. But it, it's like every year they wait to get the defenseman, the defenseman has to be more like right now in their prime. You know what I mean? Like if it was three, four years ago, it could have been a draft pick. Mm-hmm. And they, they still they, haven't taken a defenseman in the yeah. first and round they since got, 2014. And, if, and you know, let, if they last year, no, like they needed to replace Uyghur, but not with the first. They just needed to do better somewhere in between Mahora and Stahl. Like you know what I mean? Like that's not too much to ask. Like no. if they had another Mahora, and it was Forsling Mahora Mahora on the left hand side. Right, like that wouldn't be too bad. There, you'd you'd be pretty, you know, like that. I don't know, like that's all that you were asking. You can still get Mark Stahl or whatever. You can, 
you know, if you didn't have Colin White and Nick Cousins, you could have both stalls and a defenseman on that left-hand side and picked up Mahor on waivers and had a full lineup and, you know, done some things. Either way, I do really like that from Ottawa. I don't think they're going to necessarily make the playoffs, but at this point, who cares if you have a first-round pick yeah. at, at this I stage mean, in your development? You don't need it. So I, I, definitely, I definitely think that they're the type of team that is maybe not really in it that should act like they're in it at the t- trade deadline. You know, as long as it comes with term, you know, like Chikrin did and... The Sabres kind of acted the same way on a lesser level, which is fine. Yeah, you but know? I mean, like they also like they spent some draft picks, but they also traded out a goalie, a college goalie that they were going to lose rights for for a third round draft pick. So it's like you know, when you're doing that at the same time, it, it's it's much it it's much more of a savings. You know, like hey, you know, we're a team that we will spend to go get stuff, but then we're also replenish. You know. The covers. Look, I think you know, like, I don't think again, that team's particularly Florida, great, but, but yeah, Florida, Florida doesn't do that. Florida could have, like Denisenko, dude. Like it's not happening. He could have been traded last year for picks. He could have been traded at this dead. Like he could be traded for a defensive, like prospect in a similar situation. Like you got at some point you got to use him because Paul Maurice has shown he does not care. It's not happening. Same with Hepo. Like it's not happening. Like Hepo Inami made the team. <laughs> Fitzgerald almost played as many games as Heponia. Oh, boy. I, I mean, like, that's, like, if there was a lot of talk that the Panthers and Vancouver were chatting, I'm like, do a Hoaglander for Denisenko swap. I, I don't care. Yeah, I just, mean, just try something. Yeah, throw a pick in there, too, to get it done. I don't care. But, like, um, and then we go to the Rangers, the other team I want to talk about. I hate the Rangers, and I hate that they're making good moves to go for it. I mean, like, when you can just – basically bend the rules of the CBA and the salary cap to make Did you notice it last possible. night they played 12 and 5? Yeah, like if they like to make it possible to get Kane and Tarasenko without giving up anything. Like I mean, I think they paid less for both of them than we paid for like Giroux, all things considered. Um so, yeah, and it's not like Tarasenko isn't going to be there for a bit. It's not like Patrick Kane isn't probably going to re-sign. Um, you know, it it obviously helps that they're like a Toronto, like some of these other teams. They're a place players want to go. Like, there's a lot of Europeans that want to play in New York City, especially, you know, Russians. I don't know why Florida only uses that to get Bobrovsky at a big contract and not, you know, other things, but uh, other and, Russians, but and not our Tammy Panarin. So close. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I don't know if I'd pay that cap hit for Panarin, but I wouldn't, I didn't want to pay this for Bob, even though I really like Bob. But anyway, um, I, I don't always like what jury does. I like, you know, his retail st- stick blade curve, uh, the jury pattern, but uh, his GMing has been a little buckshot for me, but you can't argue with, you know, moving out Kravtsov finally, um, you know, getting decent return at basically a pretty spoiled asset. Um, I mean, the Nils Lundqvist trade. Look at what yeah, they were able to I mean, do with that. Yeah, I, and that gave them the ammunition to go out, get Tarasenko, get Kane, like really throw in. I mean, and they still had, 
like they didn't have to trade Ben Jones. They didn't have to trade some ben of their Jones. better Zach Jones. Zach Jones, whatever, Ben Jones. Um who's Ben Jones? Uh I well, I don't know. Keep somebody to me, I'll tell you that. Um but you know, like they didn't have to trade much to do what they wanted to do and it's just it's frustrating because I wish I wish, you know, like teams always help out the Lightning. It seems like teams always help out the Rangers. Teams always help out the Avs, you know, like they just seem to always, you know, we talked about how you can get the good defensemen for not first round picks or not, you know, paying huge amounts of money. Devontae's was for two second round picks. Yeah. Florida has two second round picks. They do. I mean, not in two years in a row, but they do. They have them. I uh, wanted to talk about the, the Timo Meyer trade because I've been thinking a lot oh, yeah. about the Devils. Good for them. I, I'm happy that they're going. I know a lot of Devils fans. And you I'm mean happy Geneva? That no, I've, that actually live in the great state of New Jersey. Oh, he was, it's, well, okay. Geneva's in Switzerland, right? Geneva yeah. is in Switzerland, yes. Nailed it. Good good for you. How about Bern? That's also. That's well, also I, I, I wanted to do one that wasn't, you know, Zurich and Bern are like the two hockey teams I think of first. Mm. Basel. Basel's another good one. Um, sure. I'm very, ha- I'm very happy for Devils fans. Now, I don't think that team's going to win many playoff series. I just, I get. I think they can win by one the way now. They play. I, I think Timo is close enough to a difference maker and close enough to the right fit to be like, I can see them winning, winning their first round matchup. I, I, Corey, Corey Schneider said the same thing, and, and I, I am more coming around to that, but the fact is that they play so similarly to recent Panthers teams, and they feast in overtime, and I go, well, the combination <laughs> of such to be, makes me sketchy. To be fair, I, had, I think I had Meyer in my top five in his draft year. Uh, well, that was the 2015 draft where the Panthers were going to get either Rantanen or Meyer, and then they were taken, and then they took Lawson Krause. Yeah, fun fun times, right? Fun times. I honestly cannot. But on that trade for New Jersey, they didn't really they had to give up a lot of things. They didn't have to give up their biggest things. And again, I'm happy that they're gonna get a chance to go for it and and they're gonna push. One of the things they did, and this is this is really smart, and what I think Florida should have done with Borgstrom a while ago and Denisenko a bit ago and um, you know, they took a risky first round pick. You know, when they picked uh Shakir Muka Madolin. I I got it there. It was a little You were getting you were almost there. You were almost uh, there. But you know, when they picked him, they were laughed at. And they turned that into Timo Meyer. You and that's all like if if you were a Devils fan and you were worried about that pick, you're no longer worried about that pick. If you worked in the or- Devils organization, you, that pick was not a mistake because it got them Timo Meyer signed through his prime, and he he brings an old school New Jersey Devils to a Jack Hughes version of the Devils that I think is just so perfect. Um, you know, I. I don't I'm not sold on the Devils completely yet. The market's a really tough sell. Um the ownership is a tough sell. 
I'm in and out on the front office, but I, I, I think that they're getting it done because they rely on data and they're quick to respond to it and draft with it. Um, but you know, I don't know. I really like this for them. I, if there was a team to get team Meyer besides my team, the devils make the most sense. I'm happy. I'm happy for devils fans. Like yeah. they deserve yeah. to have the series. They're going to probably have with the Rangers. Now I think the Rangers and are going out to beat of, them out of any New York fans. I'm including Buffalo in this. Oh, wait a minute. The Devils fans are the best. They are very, again, if you are and you, and we understand this personally, uh, and, and I'm not including my friend Ben, uh, who helped us do the Pokemon prospect guide. Oh, uh, that was such the greatest stuff. thing. Um, he's a New York Rangers fan. I'm really happy he got Kane and Tarasenko, and they're going wow. for it. I'm not happy that. they got Patrick Kane, considering for him, you know their Pride Night stuff. You know, he's not, also, not the greatest time for that franchise to be said. But he's also, he's also a Mets fan. Um, okay. Well, just, you know, I'm happy he's getting a little relief from that. Well, I, I mean, I, I'm getting relief from that because Maryland men's basketball had a much better season than I could have ever hey, imagined. Hey, and Jacksonville. Uh, yeah. I mean, congratulations on failing upwards. Although, that's, if, that's if I'm not, if I'm not scared by the Panthers having a good season, then immediately following it up with a turkey. How about the, the Jags? The Jacksonville Jaguars have had a better season than the Florida Panthers in the last 15 years. Well, they made a conference title. They made a conference title game even in a year that was an entire accident. And the Panthers have made one second round series. I probably can't list the last five Super Bowl champions, and I probably can't list the last five college football uh, title winners. I well, I can do that for you. Um, I like the Timo Meyer trade to say that I still don't know how much they're going to win, but they got Nemich and Luke Hughes coming, and I, again, it's yeah. going very I mean, nicely for them, and I'm happy for them. Yeah. Whether I think it's going to lead to them winning anything or not, I don't think it's going to this year, but that's fine. You're going to have your lumps in the playoffs. But, like, they went and got a player that addressed what the issue was Mm. in a non – like, let's just say – let's just – since we're continuing the comparison from Brunette's Devils to Brunette's Panthers, not that Brunette's the head coach of the Devils, but um, they – their their knock is they are too off the rush, they're too soft, they're too this or that. They didn't go out and get a big burly defenseman. They got a modern power forward who shoots the puck a ton and is a four-checking beast. And not just like in throwing bodies after the defenseman already made the pass, as in breaking up plays, winning possession, passing the puck through the slot. Mm. You got you got to like that because I mean if there's anything I grew up on, it was the New Jersey Devils hitting you behind the net, taking the puck and passing it to Patrick Elias in the slot to score against you and cry and cry and cry and cry. That sounds Patrick about Eliash, right to me. Patrick Elias is a Hall of Famer in my book, by the way. That's Border fair line. enough. That's Border fair. Line. He's he should be the either the best person not to get it, like one of the best people not to get in or one of the worst people to get, to get in. in. It's not a bad place. That's not a bad place to yeah. live. But I, I, I'm I also, a huge I also yes, I can completely understand that. There are a couple other teams I wanted to, to touch on. I mean, just in general, of course, the East loaded up and the West really didn't do all that much. I, I Carolina doing the things that Carolina <laughs> always does. 
the West, man. Right. Like, are are they just like, wow, we got Colorado and all of the East. Let's not spend too much. Or they're just afraid of McDavid. But I do want to say that the best move well, in the not, West was McDavid and Ekholm, I have to say. Um, would, now, would, now, here's the thing. I, I would have liked Ekholm, but the problem with the Panthers getting Ekholm would be you just let Uyghur go for, like, the same cap hit. He's younger, yada, yada, blah, blah, blah. But with the Oilers, I agree that I like it for them because they finally got a defenseman that does what they needed to do. They have the same Oilers have always had the same issue of like, since they lost Pronger, they, they don't have a defenseman. They, they either had like Chris Russell and tried to turn him into Chris Pronger, or they have a Darnell nurse that they try to tame and make into a Chris Pronger and just throw a contract at him and hope. But they had Clefbaum, who was – they tried to make that into that, but he was hurt and not as good, and Adam Larson, and on and on and on. Although, Adam Larson, great year for uh, Seattle. Um, and I would take him on the Panthers for the right price and cap retention, but um, I don't think he's moving. But, you know, like, it makes sense. Ekholm is the type of guy, when I talk about, like, game management, like somebody on ice – that the Panthers are missing. Like, Ekholm is more of that. He's not a Roman Yossi who's like, who, like, is that. Like, if the Panthers could get Roman Yossi, like, first of all, we wouldn't have to deal with him two times a year, which apparently kills the Panthers' season. If you, if you listen to the broadcast, the last two losses against the Predators are, like, the only two losses they really talk about as, like, big losses. Um, but, you know, like... It, those types of players that calm the game down. Like you will play teams that are going to have the puck more than you. You're going to have, you're going to play teams that are going to have better players than you, better lines than you, better momentum, whatever, better goalie. But what these types of defensemen do and something that forwards, especially wingers really don't have the ability to do because they're so up ice and leading the play versus defensemen who are behind the play and see everything in front of them is have an effect of making other players on your team better and being able to distribute the puck in a consistent manner that not only uh, you know makes each individual play the best it can be but also gets all the players into the game you know, one of the things I I really learned watching like Nick Lidstrom, the Detroit Wet Red Wings, is like you, the, especially through like the Russian and the heyday uh, Swedish period, um, like they work the puck around at the beginning of the games, beginning of periods, a lot. They were never only breaking out to the centers. They were, you know, constantly making sure that they were giving everybody the puck to keep the defense covering everybody, to keep the defense spread out, but also to get everybody t- puck touches, to get everybody warmed up, to get everybody into it. You know, it's, it's, it's tough. It's tough when you go 35 seconds without touching the puck and then a, a bouncy puck comes to you on the breakout and you have to get it out, you know, cause you've been out the ice for 45 seconds. It's time to get a change. They built up pressure 
But the ability to have these defensemen that work the puck around, get everybody going, know when and where to make moves, know when and where to skate with the puck, know when to hang back, and they QB everything, five on five. You know, Ekholm can do that, and if you compare that with McDavid and Dreisaitl, I think you can go far. Now, the problem is it's Ekholm now, not Ekholm three three or four years ago. Three or four ago. years ago, yes. But I think it's in, like at the trade deadline, that's the best they could do. No, it works, it works perfectly I, and for I'm, their and purposes. I'm, and I'm more happy they got Ekholm than Carlson because if they got Carlson, I would have to actively root against Carlson winning a cup, and that hurts the soul. Uh, it does. Um, I want to ask you a couple quick ones before I get your quick takes on the F1 season before we get out of here because we're already going <laughs> forever and ever. Uh, who's the best not-Boston team in the East, the best chance to win the East that isn't the Bruins because the Bruins are the obvious answer, but I'm looking for somebody else. Um. I have two answers, and because okay. they're both they're both dependent on things happening for each of the teams. My first answer is Carolina Hurricanes if they get the finishing. If I mean, because their problem is much like the Panthers when they're rolling is tons of puck possession, tons of good metrics, tons of good advanced stats, controlling the neutral zone, good defense, but they just don't finish at the right times they they let teams hang around in games too much and hang around in series too much they don't have that tampa killer instinct or uh, whether you want to say it's an instinct or timing or clutchness or whatever whatever they just don't know when to really ram it down and they don't have the skill to be lethal but if they get that puck luck i think it's them my second answer is Toronto. And it's just because if Matthews turns it on, I, I mean, I think they finally have a good mix of having 25,000 defensemen who are, <laughs> you know, like they're, they're healthy scratching Timothy Liljegren, who would be probably a top four defenseman for us. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I personally think that between him and Montour, it's, it's very similar. I mean, Montour is going to give you more points and offense and everything, but Liljegren is going to control play. They're both righties. So it'd be tough to figure out who plays on the second pair. But anyway, um, you know, like Toronto has, I've been impressed with their goaltending because they got, they, they made two bets. Murray would have the experience to to figure it out and come back and and throw throw a good couple months together hasn't really worked well they then took the chance on samsonov that he would regain the pedigree that allowed him to be a, a i'm pretty sure a first round draft pick correct and you know and be in the nhl at a pretty young age and have khl success and all of that and that's paid off so they took two low bets chances and uh i kind of laughed at them for that because i didn't see it but they threw together the defense i mean it's it's not the best defense but it's certainly in the better half and their offense is really good and if matthews just turns it on i think they can beat boston i think they can be fascinating about toronto 
is that they used to be that rush team that we think of, you know, what we've talked about with Florida, but they're now a much better team as evolved to be a defensive team. They can play yes, two one and, games and win. And I mean, and it's not because Morgan Riley decided to play defense. I mean, I wish it was. It's because they brought in other defensemen to support him. By the way, I would take Brandon Montour over Morgan Riley. And if Brandon Montour considers himself a rover, I would tell him, you're a number one defenseman on Toronto. So just chill. <laughs> um, but, but like, they've but, evolved you know, yeah, to be a better defensive team. They have. And because, you know, they got Nylander and Matthews playing good defense that doesn't take away from their offense because they understand how to play defense and how defense relates to getting the offensive chances and how they can stay patient because they will get the ice time. They will get the opportunities. They have a coach that is going to make matchups and run and, and do things uh, better. Um, You know, like it, if Barkov last year was getting double teamed, was getting matched up, was struggling, what did Brunette do? Nothing. When that happens with Matthews and stuff, like at least, at least Keith like moves them around, tries to like find it, find an icing to throw them out, and you know, like he's actively trying to shake the coverage and. You know, because Matthews is great, but asking him to always have to beat double coverage and always have to beat tough matchups and all that stuff and, you know, basically overcome every obstacle thrown his way is is absurd. You get you get more out of trying to free him up um, and stuff. So, like, I, I don't know. I hate saying it, but, like, Toronto and Carolina, two teams I do not want to win the Cup, are my picks for best... If, if Toronto gets lost. by Tampa, then then scary things could happen. But they yeah. have to get I mean, by Tampa. That, first of all, that's like a shot of steroids, right? You beat Tampa. You know, like that was kind of the, you know, three years in the East, no one's beat Tampa. They're the best in the best division. And you look at the Atlantic and you say, okay, Carolina, maybe New York, you know, like in the Metro are, are a problem. Uh, you know, whatever. The, I'm not too scared about either of them. In the West, there's really nobody. So, like, if you come out of that first-round matchup, you are looking good. You are looking good. Yes, you got to beat Boston, but you're hoping, you know, just get through your series and see see what's on the other side. But if you beat Tampa, you're definitely riding a bigger high than Boston beating a wild card. I mean – I look, at, look at what happened. Look at what happened last year. Yeah, they're older. I mean, I mean, at one point, Linus Olmark is going to come back down to earth. Because I really like Linus Olmark, but I don't think he's a top two goalie in the NHL, top three goalie in the NHL. Well, I I, I did the looking up earlier. He's more like Bobrovsky type. That's like, fair. I did it looking up. Of course, it's been ten years since the team that won the President's Trophy won the Cup did a double. And it's been 15 years since it happened in a real season because obviously the 13th season yeah. was lockout shortened. So, like, the Bruins are fighting also against So, the, was that the Penguins the last season? That was Red Wings. That was Detroit over Pittsburgh in 07 08. Well, didn't the Pen- Penguins win two, two in a row? I'm talking about winning the President's Trophy and the, oh. and the Cup in the same year. 
Oh, None of okay, those Penguins yeah, yeah. teams ever won the, the President's Trophy, and that's what I'm talking about. Like, the Bruins are obviously going to win the President's Trophy. So. Yeah, and the, and the Bruins are, are, are different because what they did was they, they, they're, they're a franchise that epitomizes playoff hockey. They built through that, and then Pasternak and the more sort of rushed and Marsh, well, Marshawn turning in from a pest to an all star was obviously a huge linchpin moment. But then, you know, McAvoy turning into a superstar, getting more mileage out of him, and having Pasternak turn into like a sniper. Boston's like, I, in my living memory, I can't think of a sniper on, on the Boston Bruins. I'm 32, 30, turning 33. Like I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think. Like you know, there's Cam Neely, but he's not a sniper or whatever. You know, Joe Thornton try- wasn't a sniper, obviously. <laughs> no, no. I mean, Sergey Samsonov was the dangler, and you know, had a very. They didn't short- have any of those snipers on the. Uh, they didn't have any of the snipers on the cup winning team. Like growing up, like the guy who would like snap off goals was like PJ Axelson, and you know. <laughs> How about how about we do a podcast in the future? It's just name some guys, and you know what? I know that gets a bad rap on Twitter, I still but it's play, a lot of fun. I still play NHL 12 pretty regularly, so I can name some guys. Yeah, uh, it's because I see guys. I see those guys a lot. I mean, hey, this Matthew is not... Schmaby, I'm talking about you. Okay. How about quickly? Who's who's the best team in the West? Who's going to win the West? I mean, I think the best team in the West is the Avs. Um, they should be healthier in the playoffs. And the fact that they even injured are pushing for I think second in the. They can still win the division. Yeah, second. They're going to be pushing second in the West. I think. Um, yeah, it's going to be crazy. Uh, I think you know if they get remotely healthy, they're somebody to look out for because they have nothing to worry about. They're like Nathan McKinnon isn't playing to keep the team together anymore. There's no threat that they're going to blow it up if it doesn't work out. They get to basically take all their learned experiences and play with confidence because it doesn't matter. It is a little bit more gravy. As opposed to a team like Edmonton, which is going to have a lot of pressure wherever they finish. and, And honestly, I'm surprised the Stars didn't push harder because if I was the Stars, I would think... I have the edge in an Edmonton-Dallas matchup. Yeah, you know what? Because you could think about it. Who is the best goalie in the Western Conference playoffs? I think we know who that is. Yeah. And, and and to be honest, I mean, Pavelski it continues to surprise me. Jason Robertson, like, man... Two, I'm pretty sure he's close. He's still keeping pace with McDavid at Mc, you know, you know, for age, you know, matching his age, oh, matching age and stuff. Yeah. yeah, like I think he has 200 points in 190 games or something like that. Like you know, like he's and like his advanced stats are obviously off the charts. Like all of his spar and gar and war and all that AR is uh, really good, expected or unexpected. Um, and, you know, like, I just like a lot about their team and to see them only get, like, a Dadnov and, you know, uh, who they traded Hobby Bullion for 
Max Domi. Max Domi. Kadobin also. I did yeah. you play Hobby Bullen play for the Stars? I don't know. No, I'm thinking about a goalie who a uh, uh, Eastern European goalie who would be going to Chicago. Ah, uh, that's true. Um, I I have to say that a bad got, Chicago team. Yeah, it feels like that. But I think Dallas could absolutely do it. I. Yeah, I would love I mean, the Kings so much more than I did if they had a, anybody who could make a save, but they don't. So, well, maybe now with Corpusala. I'm not. I mean, that I'm was not, a good I'm move. Not sold on that. But you have to admit that was a good move. Oh Even no, it's a perfectly smart move for the Kings. There's, my mm-hmm. my my issue is I think they should have primed the wheels a little bit more. The fact that the fact that Quick Quick was so upset about it, I think that they should have been more realistic with Quick. No, I'm not saying don't make the trade, but the fact that he seems so caught off guard by it is is definitely a letdown. When you break, when you bend over backwards for a guy like Dustin Brown, true. And 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 I'm not saying Quick is amazing or anything. He's definitely had regression and decline, but awful. But also part of that awfulness is that his shot quality has gotten so much harder as the team's gotten so much worse in front of him. It doesn't help. No. Um, the one thing that I, I've been thinking about, and I promise you we were going to end this now uh, before an F1 prediction. We uh, never will. It, we never will. I don't think the podcast will ever end. The point is uh, I, I would be, you know who I think they should be Might as well about? be last podcast of the season, but, you know. Well, I don't think it'll be the last podcast of the season. I might do stuff. But, but the, we'll the see Panther where we go from season. Here. Well, Panther season, I don't know. But I wanted to say if the Predators are really tearing it down to the studs and – GM Barry Trotz, that's going to get weird to say. Maybe they are. But pretty cool to say. It's, I think it man. is cool to say. Like, why don't you trade UC Soros to somebody and get a gigantic callback for him? Because you have Askarov. Absolutely. Do it and then trade me. But, like, that, like, I, I think you're right. Like, Nashville this summer is priming to get rid of their big three. Soros. Yossi and Forsberg. This is the time. The time when Trotz is going to be learning the role, making mistakes, etc. You see Soros to the Kings for any number of prospects and picks. Just do it. If I think you do Soros and you even if it has to be straight up, you take Quinton Byfield. I think that is the exact sort of risk they should be doing uh, because one, I think he'd be a top three pick in the 2024 draft and you know, that kind of thing. But also like they, the problem with Nashville is they've always never had good enough centers and they, and they had to overpay for Duchesne at the end of his career and Ryan Johansson after he was over his prime and all this stuff to even fake having centers. So I I would I would that that's the best center that I think LA would be remotely willing to trade. And I think for a guy like Yuzi Saros, who is the best goalie in the NHL right now, second best goalie in the NHL right now, it makes sense to do that. And he's on a good contract. So that's what I'm saying. Like you could get a killing for him from yeah. wherever you go. So and like, it would be a better I, bet than Thatcher Demko. Yeah, and you know, yeah, because there's no way that they can turn it around with Tomasino, uh, you know, now, flipping 
you, Fabro, you say that, pick, but they have an openly you know. gay player in their prospect pool, and the gay agenda is very strong, but, even in the very bigoted state of Tennessee. <laughs> you don't I, doubt that. that I, I don't doubt it, but that can only, like, you, you can only help having a lack of centers so much. This is true. You know? Even even the power of pride cannot. We we have to get an openly gay center. Uh, quickly, F one season <laughs> predictions. Uh, I still like Red Bull, but that's a biased rooting interest. Uh, but obviously, I'm really happy that Aston Martin uh, and Alonso are looking really quick and maybe could podium early in the season before some of the uh, developments and uh, progress starts getting on the car from early season results, but. It's just promising that there's possibly a customer team vying for podiums regularly again. Usually it's just Mercedes, Ferrari, Red Bull, Honda um, that are fighting the three teams fighting for the three podium spots or or even really the top six in the race every week. Uh, So it's going to be really nice if Aston Martin can have their early results pan out. and I also think Williams will have a, a stronger year. Very good-looking car. I'm hoping for the best for them. And Alpha Tauri uh, is slipping a bit, so there's there's room to jump up. So th- those it, are my It's an Alfa Romeo. What could possibly go wrong? Oh, oh well, Alfa Romeo, is uh, they look very good this year. They, oh. Well, visually. Visually? Like... Uh, okay, Alfa Romeos. They always look good, but, you know... <laughs> About the looking I, good part, yeah, yeah, I have to say, I mean, hey, they're supplied by Ferrari, so it's definitely going to blow up. Uh, it's, well, I've looked at Ferrari's recent F1 history. Yeah. Anyway, yep. thank you for listening to whatever the hell this show was. I hope it uh, scratched and, an itch for you. And just just YouTube search Roofball. Roofball. Just, That's just go do that. Roofball. Just you're go gonna get it. you're gonna get a kick out of how everybody in 2007 looked like the lead singer of Simple Plan for some reason. Yep. And and there's a new live stream coming. I think March 18th, and they're doing the 2023 World Championships. So. I, I have uh, to say, unfortunately for Roofball, I will be watching the NCAA tournament at that time. But you, That's what YouTube's for. You can watch it on demand. I be there watch it on demand. You know what? There will be times when I won't be yelling at the fact that the 12th can, seed I picked to win didn't win. Can I be honest with you? Yes. And and for people who actually go and watch like the you know 30 minutes of this and get a real good sense of what this, what this is, um, I find it more entertaining to watch than NFL football. Hey, you know what? To each their own. That's fine. If you like it that way, I'm not going to tell you to say no. Anyway, thank you again for listening to whatever the hell this was. More will be coming in the future. And until then, good night and good hockey, except if you work for the Panthers and the Flyers in this case. Good luck on social media, amigos. (laughs) 